I have, over the years, sometimes found myself wondering whether John the Baptist's father was disappointed by him. And in the same way, my father was disappointed by me because neither of us went into the family business. He, John, had a pedigree. His father was of a priestly family. His mother was of a priestly family. He was raised in a priest's home. But instead of heading off to seminary, or the first century equivalent, he decided to head for the wilderness, to an ascetic life of prayer, perhaps living on the fringe of the Qumran community, the people who were behind the Dead Sea Scrolls, working out what it meant for God to call him to prepare the way of the Lord. In a way, it was sort of the first century equivalent of what in the 1960s was someone growing their hair long, growing their beard, wearing a kaftan, and putting beads around their neck. That was basically what John did. It wasn't what you call the establishment way of doing things. John probably was meditating on the passage in Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, in which Malachi writes, using God's name, I send my messenger, and he will prepare my way before me. John just knew that he was meant to be that messenger. When he appeared down by the river Jordan, baptizing, you can hear the muttering among the priests there in Jerusalem. Do you know what's going down by dawn down by the river? Look at, see what Zechariah's boy is doing. He's just, he's not a blessing to his family. And they sent their minions to see whether John was really making a nuisance of himself. They perceived it to be scandalous, the way that he burst on the scene and then what he was up to, baptizing people for repentance in the River Jordan. I suspect that the day for which John had been prepared all his life, the day which Malachi had foretold several hundred years earlier, began just as any other day, at least in John's short ministry. But it was the day that Malachi knew was important. That was the day for which John had been preparing all his life, out in the wilderness, eating locusts and wild honey, meditating on what it was to be the one who prepared the way of the Lord. And Jesus came, and the rest of the story is there. The Holy Spirit appeared as a dove, and God spoke from heaven, and John then knew that he was on the right track. And what the gospel, what the Apostle John then tells us is that the following day, John was there talking to some of his disciples, and Jesus came wandering by, and uh, 
he told his disciples what had happened and said, look, that man there, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In our culture, a lamb is a little fluffy white thing that uh, is cuddly, that skitters around his or her mother and which is the sort of the symbol of being adorable. But that wasn't so in the Old Testament and New Testament time. I grew up in sheep country. Uh, where I grew up uh, from about February onwards, it was lambing season, and so the fields and the hillsides were covered with sheep and their, and, and their lambs. And it took me a long time to get precisely what John was saying here, because my presupposition was that's what a lamb is like. Yet in the Jewish mind, a lamb is perceived somewhat differently. A lamb takes them immediately back to that moment when the people of Israel were there waiting in Egypt for Moses to lead them out over the Red Sea and to freedom in the wilderness and then to the promised land. And they had been commanded by God to each household take a lamb, slaughter it, cook the meat so that you have some food for the journey and then daub the blood on the doorposts and on the lintel of the door. And that blood was protection and they would leave slavery and they would enter the promised land. And that was what was in John's mind, John the Baptist's mind, when he saw Jesus walking by. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was pointing to a second exodus. And in those words, he foretold what was the mission and the task of Jesus, whose way he had been preparing. That is, to die to redeem us, to, as it were, feed us for the journey and to be the sacrifice that cleanses us from our sins. And with those words, John's brief moment in the limelight, his 15 minutes, as it were, uh, was over. His disciples began, even in this passage which we read, to drift off in the direction of Jesus. And John's comment about this elsewhere was, well, he must increase and I must decrease. I was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. I've done what I was commissioned to do. Now it's his turn. John didn't live much longer. In fact, his decrease is ghastly. He was beheaded at a gaudy birthday party thrown for the king 
when in a drunken uh, promise, he said, well, what can I do to the dancing girl? And she said, I want John the Baptist's head on a platter. He was beheaded because he told the truth. The first part of the reading is about John fulfilling the mission which God had given to him. The second part of the reading is the story moving on. The spotlight moves from John to Jesus. And the disciples who he had been teaching and preparing perceived what he had told them was true and followed Jesus. John died because he told the truth. Jesus died because he was the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. What can we learn from John the Baptist? We can learn the cost of discipleship. Um, Following Jesus is what we are called to do. Reflecting Jesus in our lives is what we are called to be. And yet it isn't always easy, particularly for Christians living in more hostile environments than we do. We are called to be obedient to Christ as our Lord regardless of the consequences. Following Christ is a decision which has eternal consequences for us. But following Christ also means that being about the Father's business is going to cost us in one way or another. And John the Baptist is an example of how much it costs to follow God and do what God desires us to do. Amen.